Uh, before we begin, I want to thank the people who have rated the Bedtime Stories podcast over the course of the last month. I want to specifically thank Colleen33333 and the Dude5558 uh, for the kind reviews as well. I've been on a, a bit of a cold streak, though, recently. I've gotten a few one-star reviews in a row. Uh, so if any of you would like to step in and stem that tide of negativity before my birthday on May the 6th, uh, I would really appreciate uh, some positive ratings and reviews. Um, if you want to support me in any way, you can do so at patreon.com slash hugepop. Also, feel free to email me at adamdran at gmail.com. Tonight's bedtime story is called Confidant, and we've been sleeping with the window open recently, but I don't hear any of the pleasant nighttime noises because I blast pink noise through my stereo speakers to blot out the sound of my snoring. Let's begin. There was no clock in Michaela's room, but she was nine years old. She didn't need or want a clock. So when she was awoken in the dark of her room by a strange sound, she had no way of knowing what time it was only that it was after her bedtime and before morning. She heard the TV in the living room, but her father often fell asleep in front of the TV and inadvertently spent the whole night on the couch. It was not the sound of the TV that had awoken her. The sound had come from outside her window, which was open so that any passing breezes could slip into Michaela's bedroom through the screen, improving her sleep. Nor was the sound among those typically heard through Michaela's open window at night. The aforementioned breeze stirring in the greenery, the unassuming commentary of nocturnal birds, cars shuffling through the neighborhood on tiptoe tires. The sound was human, a sob or sigh or something similar. Michaela rolled over under her sheet and thinner warm weather comforter so that she faced the window instead of her bedroom door. The window was right next to Michaela's bed. She could almost reach it from where she lay, and though it was open, the Venetian blinds were not the gentle circulation of night air tapping them against the window frame. Michaela saw no shadowed figure through the blinds, but she sensed someone there, someone standing in the reddish wood chips of the side yard flower bed. She heard the person inhale via mouth, exhale via nose. It was the breath of a grown man. It had those qualities. Michaela closed her eyes. She was not frightened. The man was probably just passing through her yard, and besides, the sounds he was making were sad, not dangerous. Michaela didn't know of any reason to be afraid of sad men passing through her yard, not even at night. Outside the window, feet shifted in the wood chips. A throat was cleared. I hate that it matters to me. The voice was low and coarsened by weariness. I usually deny that it does matter to me, but it does. If I'm not going to admit that now, then what's the point? Michaela said nothing. She did not recognize the voice and did not know what the man was talking about. She couldn't imagine it had anything to do with her. We want to believe we're descended from good people, said the man. We all want to believe that, even if we ourselves are not particularly good. Isn't that so? Michaela didn't think the man was really asking her. She stayed quiet. It's not that I want to know that I'm descended from kings and heroes, said the man. Well, I would like that, but I don't require that to feel good about my heritage. And it isn't even about modern societal definitions of respectability. The man kept talking. The subject matter and vocabulary level had convinced Michaela that he was definitely not talking to her, but she found his voice soothing. In a way, the fact that she didn't understand what he was talking about made it more soothing because she didn't have to think about the content at all. Michaela closed her eyes and her mind wandered. 
She began to mentally compose a wish list for her birthday party, which was still three months away, and she performed her nightmare prevention trick, where she thought about the scariest scenes from movies that had troubled her and imagined funny elements into those scenes that then robbed them of their power to scare. For example, that alien abduction movie her cousin had shown her. Michaela imagined the gray alien appearing in the mom character's kitchen surrounded by a sinister light, but instead of doing what it did in the movie, she preferred not to focus on that, what if the alien had said, can I use your bathroom? Michaela knew bathroom was cheap, but the goal wasn't to make the scenes as funny as possible, it was to make them as unscary as possible. I should go, said the man outside Michaela's window. Michaela's eyes fluttered open. She'd been dozing, fading in and out to the rhythm of the man's speech. Thank you for listening, said the man. I feel much better. Michaela almost said good night, but she stopped herself. She felt a little guilty for not paying closer attention to what the man was talking about, since it now seemed apparent that he had been talking to her. But he also seemed pleased with how things had gone, so Michaela supposed it was okay that she hadn't listened as well as the man thought she had. Michaela heard the man leave, then she fell asleep. When Michaela was 26, she began an old-fashioned letter correspondence with her boss's son, a guy named Devin who lived in a different state and didn't like the internet, although Michaela later found out he mostly didn't like it because he couldn't afford it. Devin also didn't like talking on the phone because he lived with three Snoopy roommates who eavesdropped on his conversations and used what they gleaned against him in ways that he would not describe in his letters. Other than the slowness, though, Michaela didn't mind communicating with Devin via mail. He wrote great letters, both romantic and funny, and he wrote tons of them. Sometimes Michaela would receive five letters from Devin in a single week. She couldn't keep pace, but Devin didn't complain. After a year, Devin proposed marriage to Michaela at the end of the longest letter he'd ever written her, 12 pages of notebook paper front and back. Michaela wrote back right away to accept. Next thing she knew, there was Devin at the side door of the house Michaela rented from her boss, Devin's mom. He looked better than the few photos he'd sent. Younger, despite never having been older, and wearing nicer clothes, and not anywhere near as dopey as he'd looked in the worst of the pictures. I could have moved to you, said Michaela, but she was glad she didn't have to. The one inconvenient thing was that Devin insisted on starting married life in a house that his mother did not own. He didn't want her to have landlord levels of control over his life, and he didn't trust the workmen she hired to do repairs on her properties. Her hiring criteria is all out of whack, said Devin. All she cares about is their religious beliefs. What beliefs are those? asked Michaela. I don't know, said Devin. You don't know your own mom's religious beliefs? I do too, said Devin. I just don't know what kind of religious beliefs she favors in those loser workmen she hires. Probably the same as hers, said Michaela. You'd think, said Devin. Michaela, who was paid well enough not to have to pretend to dislike the internet for the sake of her pride, found a nice house online for her and Devin to rent. The landlady ended up being a friendly rival of Devin's mom, so she was delighted to have him as a tenant, and she even offered a discount when Michaela expressed last-second reservations about signing the lease because Devin still didn't have a job. Michaela and Devin had a small wedding in Officer David K. Wolst Memorial Park, then they honeymooned for three days at a hotel right down the street from the Heavenberg City Zoo. They went to the zoo every day, spending hours watching the penguins in their dark, air-conditioned enclosure. Multioke had a zoo, too, of course, but Heavenberg's was better. Additionally, the Multioke Zoo had been overrun by posters and placards featuring a comedian who had been born near Multioke, 
and who had since donated a lot of money to the zoo. Michaela and Devin shared a distaste for the comedian. On the last evening of their honeymoon, Michaela and Devin reclined on their hotel bed and drank vanilla milkshakes while watching modern cartoons on the TV, comparing them unfavorably to the cartoons of their youths. There's probably a lot I still don't know about you, said Devin. I tried to tell you as much as I could in the letters, said Michaela. I'm not complaining, said Devin. It's exciting that there's still so much I get to find out. Thank you, said Michaela. I'm excited to find out more about you, too. What's something I don't know about you, asked Devin. He used his straw as an inefficient spoon, scooping milkshake toward his mouth. Like what, asked Michaela. Anything, said Devin. Something you want me to know. Something I should know. You can tell me anything. Oh, said Michaela. You saying it like that made me think of something. Great, said Devin. What is it? <laughs> said Michaela. Now that I think of it, I definitely need to tell you since it's going to involve you now, too. It is? asked Devin. Well, we're going to be sleeping in the same room, right? asked Michaela. The same bed? Ideally, said Devin with a laugh. Then yeah, it's going to involve you, said Michaela. I'm very curious, said Devin. It's not that big of a deal, said Michaela, but I guess it's a little strange. It only happens a couple of times a month at the most. What does? asked Devin. A man stands outside my window and talks about his problems, said Michaela. But he isn't especially loud. His voice is kind of nice. You might just sleep right through it. He wakes me up, but then again, I guess I wouldn't know if there were times when he didn't wake me up. Devin stopped both eating and drinking his milkshake. A man, he asked. What man? I don't know, said Michaela. I've never met him. But what does he look like? I don't know that either, said Michaela. I keep the blinds closed. But why does this happen, asked Devin. How long has this been going on? Since I was nine, said Michaela. I guess it makes him feel better, that's what he says. Since you were nine, said Devin, for seventeen years? How is that even possible? Haven't you lived in several different apartments since then? He always finds me again, said Michaela. Not sure how. Every time I move, I think, well, this might be the time when he loses me. But nope, he always shows up again, talking about his problems outside my window. I like sleeping with my window open, but even when it's closed, like during the winter, I can still hear him pretty well. I even had a second-story apartment once, but sure enough, he must have found a way up into the tree because it wasn't too long before I heard him out there. She chuckled to herself, trying to ease Devin's obvious tension. She didn't know why it hadn't occurred to her that the situation would make Devin uncomfortable. She supposed it was because she'd lived with it so long that it didn't strike her as creepy. Of course, it hadn't struck her as creepy when she was nine, either. So he's a stalker, said Devin. He set his milkshake down on the bedside table and swiveled to sit cross-legged facing Michaela. Has he ever tried to come inside? Have you ever noticed things missing from the house, the garage, the yard, your car? No, 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 said Michaela. It isn't anything like that. What do you say to him, asked Devin. It was the first time Michaela had heard him use an accusatory tone directed at her, and it hurt her feelings. I don't say anything, she said. I never have. I usually just lie there and, I don't know, sort of half-listen or think about other things or drift off. I don't know. Then how does he know you're there, asked Devin. I don't know, said Michaela. It's mysterious. It's not mysterious, said Devin. I mean, it is, but in a bad way. It isn't bad, said Michaela. It helps him to have someone to talk to, Devin. He sounds so sad, but then when he leaves, he sounds better. Less sad. He thanks me for listening. He's using you, said Devin. He's taking advantage of you, and he's manipulated you into thinking this is a good thing somehow. How old is he? Was he a grown man when you were nine? Yes, said Michaela. I don't know how old he is, but he never talks about anything, like, gross. It's all about 
oh, fear of failure, worrying he doesn't feel as deeply as other people, wishing he could appreciate dance as an art form, wishing he was an inconsequential bird like a sparrow. He talks to you about wishing he was a sparrow, asked Evan, through your window in the middle of the night. That's sick, Michaela, that's sick. It is, asked Michaela. It didn't seem that sick to me. It was just kind of sad, like most of what he says. So he makes you sad, said Devin. You don't think that's a problem? He doesn't make me feel sad, said Michaela. Not at all. I don't like it, said Devin. I don't like anything about it. We need to call the police. No, said Michaela. That would be such a betrayal. He's been talking to me for 17 years, and I've never discouraged him. How is it fair for him to suddenly get in trouble for it now? He might not even show up outside our window. Maybe now that I'm married, he won't come anymore. The thought made Michaela sad. She hoped it wasn't true, but she didn't want trouble between the man and Devin. Maybe she'd be able to convince Devin that it wasn't a problem by the time the man showed up at their new place. Or maybe once Devin experienced one of the man's visits for himself, he'd see that there was nothing to worry about, that the man was not a threat in any way. He'd better not show up, said Devin, but if he does, I'll warn him once. After that, if he shows up again, I'm calling the police. Michaela said nothing. The honeymoon was almost over, but the argument cast a pall over what little remained. Michaela wondered if Devin would have taken her explanation of the situation with the man better if it had come in the form of a letter. On the drive back to Multioke the next morning, Michaela asked, So what's something else I should know about you, then? Hmm, said Devin. I was born with two teeth already in my mouth. I know, said Michaela. You told me that in your letters three times. Oh, said Devin. Two weeks after Michaela and Devin had moved into their house and three days after Devin had started his job at a medical study of exertion where he was paid almost $20 an hour to exert himself all day, Michaela woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of the man's voice coming through the window, which was across the room on Devin's side of the bed. Michaela and Devin had not discussed the subject of the man's nighttime visit since the honeymoon, but she suspected Devin had arranged the bedroom as he had for a reason. He had also put up a small resistance to sleeping with the window open, but Michaela had argued earnestly and honestly about why it was important to her without so much as alluding to the man, and Devin had relented. "'I can't stand my old hobbies,' said the man. "'But taking up new ones feels like an abandonment of my identity.' Michaela looked at Devin in the dark. He lay on his right side facing her, his back to the window. His eyes were closed and his breathing sounded like sleep. The man's voice was quiet, but always audible, always clear. But on the other hand, the man continued, how is it that not enjoying things I used to enjoy doesn't constitute an abandonment of my identity? Maybe it does. And what good is being true to my identity if it means I spend the rest of my life pursuing interests I no longer hold? Devin stirred and cleared his throat. Michaela glanced at the window, then back to her husband's sleeping face. Did he seem more awake? No, he didn't, but she still wished the man outside her window would make it a short session tonight. Her worry was resulting in a much less soothing experience with the man than usual. Far from letting her mind wander or dozing off, Michaela was fixated on whether or not Devin was about to wake up and freak out. But interest always waxes and wanes, said the man. We don't abandon things entirely because of a period of reduced interest. Except we do sometimes. I do. I have. But why should interest be the thing that governs how we spend our time? Michaela slipped out of bed and crept to the window on the balls of her bare feet. She stooped so her mouth was near the slim space between the edge of the Venetian blinds and the window frame. She felt night air on her lips and in her nose. Hello? she whispered. The man's voice skidded to a halt in mid-sentence. 
It's me, Michaela. She had no idea if the man knew her name or not. There was no response from the other side of the window, but Michaela detected faint breathing, the sound of a forefinger scratching a forearm or forehead. I have a husband now, she said. I told him about you and he got upset. I couldn't explain you very well. He's in here right now and he's asleep, but I just wanted to warn you that if he wakes up and hears you talking through the window, he might react kind of badly. He said he'd give you a warning first, but... Well, I just want you to know that I don't agree with him. I'm on your side. I know I've never spoken to you before, and I'm sorry if you don't like it, but I thought it was important to tell you this. She glanced over her shoulder at the bed. Devin still had his back to her, but she imagined him lying as he was with his eyes wide open, listening to her telling the man outside the window she was on his side, and it made her nervous. You can keep talking, said Michaela, turning back to the window, but be prepared. She scurried back to the bed and crawled in. Devin's eyes were not open. Was he feigning sleep? Michaela lay back and pulled her portion of the blankets up to her neck, her pulse at full gallop. And my hobbies weren't always my hobbies, said the man, picking up where Michaela had interrupted him. I wasn't born into them. I had to pick them up somewhere along the way. When I did, was I abandoning my identity that came before them? Why should switching hobbies feel more like a crisis of identity than switching jobs, switching cities? It's a foolish thing to agonize over, I know, but here I am. Michaela felt something and turned her head to look at Devin again. His eyes were open. Even in the near dark of the room, Michaela saw his face shift from bleary confusion to anger in a matter of moments. See? whispered Michaela, reaching for Devin's hand under the covers. Harmless. He's almost done. Maybe if my hobbies could benefit other people, said the man outside the window. Maybe if they had some utility besides occupying my mind, busying my hands. Devin threw back the covers, sprang from the bed, and stalked to the window. Devin, please, said Michaela, sitting up in bed. Devin grabbed the cord for the Venetian blinds and yanked, shouting, Don't come back! Next time I'm calling the cops! He leaned forward to press his forehead against the window, swiveling it one way, then the other. He's gone. You scared him, said Michaela. Good, said Devin, struggling with the blinds. He had yanked the cord too hard and was now having trouble getting them closed again. Why couldn't you just talk to him like a normal person? Because he isn't a normal person, said Devin. I meant why couldn't you talk to him like you're a normal person, said Michaela. Instead of charging and shouting, you could have tried to be nice. My reaction is the exact reaction any normal person would have in these circumstances, said Devin. I promise you. So mine isn't, said Michaela. That's what you're saying? Tolerating a strange man following you from house to house, talking through your window a few nights a month for 17 years, said Devin. No, that isn't normal. He flung the cord to the blinds away from him so it clacked against the wall. I broke them. He strode back to the bed and flopped down on top of the covers. Michaela held her question in for as long as she could, but she knew it was inevitable. Ten minutes passed. The room was much lighter with the blinds open. What did he look like, she finally asked. I don't know, said Devin. By the time I looked, he was gone. Michaela was relieved. She didn't want Devin to know what the man looked like if she didn't, but she preferred that neither of them knew. If he was already gone, he probably didn't hear your warning, Devin. So, said Devin. So if he didn't hear your warning, then it isn't fair for you to call the cops on him next time. If he didn't stick around to hear my warning, that's his fault, said Devin. He knows I don't want him here. That's warning enough. What if he comes back to you because he wants to work something out with you, asked Michaela. What if he wants to apologize? Are you going to call the cops then? Come on, Michaela, said Devin. I exerted myself all day today. I have to exert myself all day tomorrow, and it's very tiring. I wish you would just trust me to vouch for him, said Michaela. 
Good idea, said Devin. That way he can kill us both. Of course, said Michaela. That's his plan. How could I have not seen it sooner? Start telling me about his problems through my bedroom window when I'm nine. Do that for 17 years. Wait for me to get married and then spring his trap. She laughed and she knew it sounded derisive, but she didn't care. Fine, said Devin. Do I know why this guy has been whining through a window to you for 17 years without ever introducing himself? No, and neither do you. But tell anyone else about this and they'll be on my side. I guarantee it. Devin was almost certainly right and Michaela knew it. But that did not change her mind. It only made her sorry for everyone she knew, for the whole rest of the world. She rolled onto her side, turning her back to Devin. The accumulated light from the moon, stars, street lights, and neighbors' porch lights coming through the window shaped a pale imitation of the window on the blank wall on Michaela's side of the room. It admitted no breeze, no nighttime sounds, and no voices, sad, soothing, or otherwise. Since Michaela could think of no possible angle from which she could approach the argument with a clear shot at winning, she again avoided talking to Devin about the man outside the window. She tried not to think about it too much either, since every time she did, she felt stabs of bitterness toward her husband. She knew he thought he was being protective. He didn't seem capable of acknowledging that he was also acting out of jealousy and ignorance, but the situation was odd. Michaela just wished she could make Devin see that the oddness did not constitute a threat to her, him, or anyone. At least the blinds weren't broken. Devin had fixed them without much trouble when he approached them in a calmer state. A week and a half after his first visit to Michaela in Devin's new house, the man returned during a light 2 a.m. storm. Michaela was lying awake listening to the polite, almost sheepish thunder and wondering if the carpet beneath the window was getting damp when she heard the man clear his throat a sound that would have surely been lost in the patter of the rain had she not been attuned to it. Why should anyone trust me, said the man. I don't trust myself, I can't. The fact that everyone's crooked is no consolation. I've committed offenses against rightness worse than many crimes, and they surely haunt me more than my crimes. Michaela hoped Devin was not hearing this. She turned her head to look at him and saw that he was wide awake, reaching for his phone on his nightstand. Don't, whispered Michaela. Devin ignored her. As soon as he said hello, I'd like to report a prowler in our yard into his phone. The man stopped speaking. By the time the police arrived, he was long gone. One of the officers was middle-aged, the other was much younger. They stood in Michaela and Devin's living room, gripping their belts. There were many small, dark splotches on the shoulders of their uniforms. Michaela supposed cops probably didn't use umbrellas while they were on duty very often. Guess which one of us is the rookie, said the younger one. Um, him, said Devin, pointing at the older officer. Yeah, you guessed right, said the younger officer. He looked and sounded disappointed. But most people think I'm the rookie. I figured you probably wouldn't ask if the answer was that obvious, said Devin. I came to law enforcement late, said the older officer. He redoubled his grip on his belt. I used to teach classes about police corruption. And you want to make a positive difference, asked Devin. What? asked the older officer. What do you mean? Like, you wanted to weed out corruption from the inside, asked Devin, or be a good example? No, no, said the older officer. The classes were about how police corruption isn't real. It's an oxymoron. Oh, said Devin. Michaela said nothing. She hadn't spoken beyond telling the officers her name since they arrived. She didn't want to say anything that might incriminate the man outside the window. Devin had gotten fully dressed in anticipation of the cop's arrival, but Michaela had just pulled a long robe on over her pajamas. It was her cold-weather robe, though the weather wasn't cold, just wet. 
So you didn't see the prowler, said the younger officer, getting the investigation back on track. You don't know what he looks like. No, said Devin, I didn't see him, and my wife says she's never seen him either. Which way did he run again, asked the older officer. I told you I didn't see, said Devin. Just double-checking, said the older officer. He winked at Michaela in a grandfatherly way. Maybe you should look for footprints, said Devin. The younger officer heaved a sigh that was more of a dramatic shoulder move than a breath. Footprints are not as big of a thing in police work as a lot of people think. Most crimes aren't going to be solved with footprints. TV glamorizes footprints too much. But when you've worked as many cases as I have, or even as many as Officer Jang's here, who's only a rookie, you realize footprints aren't the answer. Did the man threaten you, asked Officer Jang's. He seemed perturbed. Michaela thought he was probably long past tired of the younger officer mentioning his rookiehood. No, said Michaela, never. Not directly, said Devin, but he talked about committing crimes, which seemed to us like an implied threat. Seemed to you, said Michaela. What crimes, asked the younger officer. Nothing specific, said Devin, but he talked about his lack of remorse for crimes he's committed. Oh, come on, said Michaela, we don't even know if he was telling the truth. Not a risk I'm willing to take, said Devin. He looked to the cops for confirmation that his reaction was appropriate. You said he's been here before, asked the younger officer. Less than two weeks ago, said Devin, and he's been harassing my wife in the same way for 17 years, so we're sure he'll be back. It isn't harassment, said Michaela. It's never bothered me. Here's the thing, said Officer Jangs. Officer Quill and I can't stake out your house every night waiting for this freak to come back. More than likely, he ran because he heard you call us, and that'll be enough to scare him away. I warned him I was going to call you last time, said Devin, and that didn't keep him away. He probably thought you were bluffing, said Officer Quill. People threaten to call us all the time and don't follow through. Of course, the people we don't want to hear from call us constantly. So what do you suggest, asked Devin. Next time he comes, said Officer Jangs. He let a long pause float in the air before finishing his sentence in the least climactic way possible. Try to call us again, but without him hearing, that's what you're doing. Great, said Devin. His tone displayed evidence of a rapidly fading deference to authority. Michaela was secretly relieved at how unhelpful the police were being. One thing I'll note before we go, said Officer Quill. The state usually sides with the homeowners when they take matters into their own hands in a case like this. He's on your property uninvited. He knows you don't want him here. Officer Quill shrugged. At this point, you can pretty much do what you think is necessary. I don't own any guns, said Devin. Well, most people don't like getting bonked with a bat much either, said Officer Quill. After the police left, Michaela and Devin argued about the man outside the window for over an hour, making no progress at all. They were both working with the same basic set of facts, but arriving at directly contradictory conclusions. Michaela couldn't translate 17 years' worth of experience with the man talking outside her window into words that could make Devin feel differently, and Devin couldn't express how he felt in a way that could make Michaela disregard 17 years' worth of experience. The next time the man talked to Michaela through the bedroom window in the middle of the night, Devin wasn't home. The people running the medical study of exertion wanted to study exertion at different altitudes, so Devin was exerting himself in the mountains for a week. Michaela heard the man clear his throat in her dream, and her eyes snapped open before he spoke his first word. She had hoped the man would return while Devin was gone, and here he was. The night was humid and the room was stuffy, even with the window open. Had Devin been home, they probably would have run the air conditioning for the first time that year, but Michaela had wanted to be certain she wouldn't sleep through any of the man's visits. I tell myself I don't know what I'm capable of, said the man. 
But I do know, and I suspect most people who know me know too. I don't conceal it from anyone. I can't. It shows on my face and the way I carry myself. It shows in the shape of my teeth, the dull colors of my eyes. Michaela sat up, but didn't get out of bed. She knew she didn't need to whisper, but it still seemed best to talk in a low voice. She didn't want to startle the man, didn't want to send him running. My husband isn't here, she said. Devin's exerting himself in the mountains. The man stopped his monologue. Are you still there? asked Michaela. The man said nothing, but Michaela sensed his presence. I'm glad I got this chance to talk to you, said Michaela. My husband is scared of you. He doesn't know anything about you, so the cops have no way to find you, but I think he's going to chase you himself next time. The police told him to hit you with a baseball bat, so he sleeps with a bat under the bed now. I'd get rid of it, but he'd just get mad at me and replace it. She paused to give the man time to consider this information. I don't want Devin to hurt you, she continued. I don't want anyone to get hurt. But if you talk to me through the window in the middle of the night while he's here, I'm afraid someone is going to get hurt. I don't doubt for a second that he'll chase you down and hit you. He's younger than you and he's strong. He's in great shape. His job is to exert himself all day for five days a week. And besides that, well, I don't have any problem with you. I like you. This has been going on for so long that it feels totally natural to me, but Devin doesn't see it that way, and he's right that no one else would either. The cops weren't that upset about it, but I think they were just lazy, and they basically gave Devin permission to assault you. But the thing is that you've become a big problem in my marriage. Devin and I argue about you whenever you come up, and we didn't know each other very well before we got married, so I think our relationship is more fragile than either of us want to admit, so arguing about you feels dangerous. It makes me very nervous. So my point is that I don't think you should come anymore. For my sake and Devin's sake, yes, but also for your own sake. If me listening to you through the window at night has helped you, I'm glad. I've always been happy to help. It's always made me feel good to be here for you, but it has to end now. You should find someone else to talk to. By the time Michaela finished talking, tears were spilling from both corners of both eyes. Also, the man was gone, and Michaela didn't know when he'd left. Devin returned from his high-altitude exertions, predictably exhausted. Michaela picked him up at 9 p.m. from the airport to Heavenburg. They grabbed chicken from Grand Bead on the way home, ate it on the porch swing, and went to bed. When Michaela woke up in the middle of the night, the man at the window was in mid-sentence. She had no idea how long he had been talking. Care, if you call it resolve or stubbornness, and I imagine that not caring what it's called is another symptom of the thing itself. How do I quantify the pain it's caused versus the pain it's averted? It's impossible. And even if it weren't, should pain be the final calculation? I sometimes feel guilty when I refuse to bend my will, but I know that I would be overcome with shame if I gave in. Michaela looked to Devin's side of the bed. He was not there. His covers were thrown back and he was gone. Michaela leapt out of bed, dropped to her hands and knees, and lifted the bed skirt to look for the bat. It was gone, too. She was about to cry out for the man to run when she heard Devin's shout from outside. I warned you! I told you to stay away! From just beyond the blinds and the window screen, Michaela heard a sharp intake of breath and a scrambling escape. Moments later, she heard Devin's heavy thumping footfalls as he sprinted past the window in pursuit, no doubt brandishing the baseball bat in one hand. Michaela ran to the window and opened the blinds, but the men were gone. There was nothing to see but fifty feet of featureless side yard and the impassive wall of the neighbor's garage. Michaela hurried out of the bedroom, down the hall, and out the front door, her bare feet slapping on the cool cement of the front walk. When she got to the curb, she looked up the street, then down the street, 
and saw nothing but a multi-oak neighborhood slumbering through a muggy spring night. She listened for Devin yelling threats for the clang of an aluminum bat contacting a human skull, but instead heard only the familiar sounds of the hour, unfiltered by screen or blinds, the vacant auditory cradle of a voice fleeing for its life. The police could not find Devin, much less the man he'd chased who Michaela could neither identify nor describe. She tried to imitate his voice, but it was an utter failure. The police looked but discovered nothing, not a single clue. Volunteers from the community looked too, but their efforts were exactly as fruitless as those of Michaela and the police. A month after Devin went missing, Michaela woke to the sound of the man's voice coming through her window. She had taken to sleeping with the window closed since Devin disappeared, but she had no trouble hearing the man despite the thin pane of glass between them. It's so easy for me to tell myself I have no choice in certain matters, said the man. So easy. To retroactively present myself with two options and agree that I chose as any reasonable person would have. Last time I spoke of being stubborn, but look at how often I speak of others forcing my hand. Where is my husband, asked Michaela, lying alone on the far side of her bed. What did you do to him? I want him back. The man said nothing for a long time, and Michaela assumed he had slipped away, just like he always did when things got difficult. It surprised her when he spoke again. His voice pitched as soothingly as she'd ever heard it. If you ever need to talk, he said, I'd be happy to listen. Hi, this is Adam Drent. Thank you for listening to this bedtime story. I'll be back in about a month with another one. There are a ton more you can listen to on iTunes, or you can listen to them, read them, and even answer discussion questions about them on hugepop.com. There you can also find a link to the music I make as the mispronouncer. I also have two podcasts that are not necessarily defunct, but which are certainly on extended hiatus. They're called Out of All Doors and One Man's World, and both of those are on iTunes as well. If you'd like to donate to my Patreon, which will allow you access to a variety of bonuses, you can do so at patreon.com slash hugepop. 